Hi, and welcome to the Design Systems Podcast, the place where design and development overlap. Brought to you by Knapsack. Check us out at knapsack.cloud. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with Zach Hendershot and Aaron Stone. They're with Crux Digital. Zach is the managing partner, and Aaron Stone is the founder. Welcome to the program, guys. Glad to have you on. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about, about what a managing partner and a founder of an agency like Crux does. Well, I'll uh, I'll start. So our job and our and our responsibility, right, is to help our clients solve really difficult technical problems. And so, you know, my my job within Crux really is to help focus the the right work, the right engagement, the right solution to the problem that our clients are trying to solve, and and make sure that we are set up in a way to help them really solve that problem effectively and efficiently. That's 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 it at the end of the day. That trickles into a bunch of different skills and and conversations and and actions but i i think that's the gist of of what my day-to-day looks like yep yeah and for me uh i'm just trying to make sure that the best people are under our roof uh so we're really a collective of folks that uh that provide a lot of senior level delivery around design driven products and uh, focusing on being able to operationalize really great design. Awesome. And Crux has built a design system for three in its time, which is why we obviously wanted to chat with you guys today is you have a lot of experience working with design systems across a variety of organizations and in a variety of contexts. Can you guys tell me a little bit about the work you do specifically as it relates to design systems so we can get a kind of an understanding of who you work with, what do you do in that, that space? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, historically, we've worked primarily with Fortune 1000. Uh, it seems to be our sweet spot in delivery. Um, on design system front, we've done things kind of um, financial services, renewable energy, telecom, things like that. And typically what we'll do is we'll engage with product ownership and try and align the requirements that are kind of going around to the teams. Who are the consumers of this? Understanding kind of the product level elements of how do you actually design, strategize, build, and deliver something like this all the way from design all the way to the point of being consumed? And when did you guys first start working with design systems? And, and I say this out of love because I, uh, I actually started an agency that was focused exclusively on working on design systems for a while. And, you know, we did that like circa 2017. And I'm always kind of curious where other folks have, have landed on that front. It's funny, the 2017 number is actually right around when we started to look at it. We uh, kind of the Brad Frostisms were starting to come into the world and everybody was thinking about atomic design. And there was all this kind of, how do you operationalize something across legacy components or legacy applications and marketing applications and future-facing applications? And how do we actually take all of those things and create economies of scale around around components and consistency within within a brand? Yeah, and I've been looking at, uh, design systems probably about the same time as well. We were uh, Aaron and I were both at a previous agency before before Crux, and you know it was primarily a design agency, and we were really looking at it through the lens of like how do we solve a problem? And the problem is is all these great designs that exist within the work and the and the engagements that we're uh, engaged with with our clients. How do we make that impactful in the business? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we started to get really early stage interested in how to how to create reusable components out of it, how to scale it within an organization and enterprise, mm-hmm. you know. And we've kind of carried that forward over over the last few years in in terms of really optimizing how we think about it and how we how we you know put put pen to paper on the tools and the process and and the messaging around it. Yeah, and interestingly, in that stage of things, we were actually thinking about it selfishly, right? A lot of that was we have lots of clients we're serving and a lot of opportunity to reduce the amount of time it takes us to do what we do for our clients. Um, and we hadn't at that point, I think, really put the lens on how can 
our clients do this mm-hmm. uh, to help themselves? And how can we help our clients to do that? Um, so that, I think that's the evolution of this from where we started to how we've seen this evolve within the walls of some of our clients. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because not every agency necessarily embraces this idea. I think that um, you know agency models have largely been based around the legacy models or, or or the traditional models that we've used to build products. And oftentimes agencies either are are looking at this from a self-interested perspective, which I think is fine. Um, everybody wants to build things for their their clients faster. But oftentimes when customers start to to implement um, design systems, that's seen almost like a threat because that means like less billable work for an agency. How do you guys kind of wrestle with that concept? Yeah, in fact, you know, I remember very early stages. I was I was a part of many sales efforts on on a lot of this work, and and that was the early fear in 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 us as an agency selling this work to these clients. But at the end of the day, once we start to build them, once we start to deploy them, they came back to us, right? Mm-hmm. And they came back to us for a couple of different reasons. They came back to us because you know, one, they needed to up level themselves in terms of how to think in a in a reusable structured way. That is not a, a typical way in which they think about engaging and building pro- digital products in a lot of these organizations. So we were able to help them, you know, really up level their internal skills and capabilities, but also their their way of thinking and the way of acting in terms of building and scaling, you know, design and experience within their digital products. But then secondarily, right, it brought immense value to their business in terms of efficiency improvements and scale. Mm-hmm. They wanted more of that in other parts of their business, right? And so for us, it was one of those situations where, yes, it maybe shortened the window on that one work stream, but opened a very large window of a bunch of additional work streams to help make them faster, leaner, meaner, and and just more efficient as a, as a broader organization. And word spread. And that and that's what was the value of of doing this at, at scale in these organizations. Yeah, I, I would add also that, I mean, the threat that you could get, everybody sort of, whether it's on the agency side or it's internally within an organization consuming a design system, there is a bit of threat to your role and what do you do here, right? And um, on the agency side, maybe that's a threat to how much work can we do and how much can we build for and how much can we build from scratch. But what can you do when you're actually raising your gaze from building buttons over and over again or building accordions the same way again. Like if you actually have a lot of that stuff provided to you, it's not ne- necessarily that you're being threatened that you're not building that. It's that you're given the opportunity to not have to build that. And you start to think about what is the business value I'm adding? What am I thinking about from a product standpoint to provide more value to my team, to my product, to my customers? Um, there's a lot more opportunity that comes out there. I love that take. I think that that's a great way of of thinking about how, you know, an agency's problems and and their customers, clients' problems are very much aligned, right? If you if you're solving the things that that your clients care about and you're aligned to their value, ultimately that provides more opportunities for you to deliver value for them. And I, I think that that's great. And I agree that there's an analog sort of inside of design teams or engineering teams now that like what do I do with my hands if I'm if I'm not doing the thing that I've always done before? And I think that that's what really makes design systems represent this big step change in the way we think about building product. Yeah, and you know, we've heard we've heard this thought a lot about 
okay, are, am I, are you working me out of a job, right? If, I, if my job is to continue to build the same component over and over again across a number of different products, and that's my job within the business, right? And a design system circumvents your ability to you know, ultimately you know, scale yourself, right? It's going to create a bunch of different things within that organization. And it may, it may be a long-term thing where these folks you know, really uh, get burned out because they're doing the same thing mm-hmm. or aren't having the impact that they want within the organization or, you know, just get tired of doing that same thing over and over again and, and leave the organization. And otherwise they're a great, you know, great piece of talent within that organization and, and they don't want to lose them. So this, I think, in my opinion, gives the teams within these organizations the ability to scale themselves as well. And so if we can tell that story as a part of our engagements, right, that it not only helps your operational efficiency, but it helps the scale and efficiency of the people in your business and help them learn new skills, you know, try new things, work across different products, help the business grow in more effective, efficient ways. I think that's a great story too. That's more nuanced and more complicated to tell, but I think that's a really valuable one for for organizations that are at a certain level of maturity. So when you think about you know, that sounds like a really well-developed point of view around design systems. When you think about your point of view about how design systems have, have impacted agencies and how they've impacted your client's way of thinking, what are some themes that, that get extracted from this? What are, the, what are the ways that your clients take on your point of view? I would say the, the, the biggest thing is who are your customers? Understanding what the value is of the thing that you're building to each of those customers and being able to come up with some process and some strategy to be able to make sure that you're serving the needs of the people that you're serving. And whether that's your developers or your designers or your product people, um, each consumer of the system has a different priority. And it takes some time to be able to think about that. And that's a good thing about being from the agency side is that we've sort of seen different ways of this sort of approach play out differently. Whether you are really, really heavy on your design and spec side up front, or you're really heavy on product design and you want to build something within a product that then gets elevated into a system. All these things sort of take a different path um, and being able to approach that from a, well, what's the most important thing for us from a business standpoint to be able to hit? And then the step beyond that is, okay, in order to hit that business goal, how are we going to make the individual successful in that ecosystem um, so that it actually provides value in, in operation? No, I love that idea of of almost like, you know, you kind of said it without saying it like, hey, there's a product here that is that design system and they're consumers of that product. And there's, yes, the definition of that product that's important, but that consumption model can be really broadly varied based on on the individual needs of an individual company. Yeah, and I think that's what is really interesting to us, especially when we want to look at it as a problem to solve in the organizations that we work with, right? A lot of organizations we work with, and in fact, I was a I was a leader at a at a large telecom organization, and I think it was a very siloed organization, and the way in which we deployed a a design system into that organization was very different than than one that would, would maybe be more deeply collaborative in terms of how those business units or, or uh, organizations work together, right? We had to create a bunch of tooling and a, ton- mm-hmm. and a, and a bunch of documentation. And we had to, you know, create a, a marketing strategy, right? Where we advocated for the value in, in different and unique ways. And we had to, you know, create tools that really made it simple to integrate into a variety of different technology stacks that existed across the business, right? A lot of complexity, a lot of 
uh, a lot of different personalities. And I think our, our, our product go to market strategy, I guess is the term you could use, uh, mm -hmm. is different than it is for, you know, maybe a, another organization. I think there's some consistency, but I think you have to be respectful of the unique cultural world that exists within the organization that you operate. And, and the goal here, right, is adoption broadly. Like what you're trying to, to drive at is the variations in tooling, service model, strategy. It's all about getting the right formula for adoption, <laughs> product market fit, if you will, uh, within an organization. Uh, am I getting that right? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. The, the analogy that comes to mind to me is Tesla and the charging network. It's, if you were to build a Tesla and it does everything that you want it to do. It's got the range that you need. It's got all the things that you need. Um, but in practice, without the charging network, it really doesn't provide any value to the consumers of that thing. So if you were to buy a Tesla and there was no charging network, you would be severely limited in how that would function for you in your daily life. Um, but being able to have um, the things in place that drive adoption, that allow people to be able to use it the way they want to use it, make them feel like they're getting value out of it, and actually be able to empirically prove that is a really critical piece. You could build the best design system on the planet where it does everything that you want it to do. But if it's not in use, in products, in people's hands, you haven't actually contributed to the ROI right. that you may have espoused in the beginning of this to say, well, we should invest in this. Um, that money just lays on the floor if you're not actually making use of the tool. Now, getting to value is absolutely about somebody using it in a production product. Yeah. And I think that's what impresses upon me. And I think us at Crocs, how important it is to think about a design system through the lens of a product. Because if you think about it strictly through building that Tesla, right, that's that's one dimensional view of it. But if you look at the ecosystem around it, right, the people who uh, actually use it in the real world, the teams that are going to need to incorporate it and adopt it within their technology, their, you know, how they have to sell it to their leadership, because it's going to take a certain amount of adoption and, and time to do that. You have to think about all of those parts as a part of your product strategy in a lot of ways first before you actually think about the product itself the the design system in this situation mm -hmm. because if you don't get those figured out it doesn't matter how good or how effective or how fast or how whatever if nobody uses it and adopts it right so i think that's that's the bottom line for us and i think that the tendency is often to like to look at the tech and be like wow this is cool tech this can enable a lot of stuff and to really build the product around the tech as the focus and I kind of feel like that's almost backward, where it is a lot more about understanding what an organization really needs or what they're really looking for in terms of service model, right? Like, how does this actually get adopted and get used? And then making the tech decisions based upon that. You know, I know that there's a lot of different ways to, to go here, right? But I am kind of curious about how you guys think about the interplay of the tech, the tools, how people use it, how people put all this together. And sort of what is the sequence here? Like, what's the best practice for how you think about setting these up so that they're actually going to get used? Yeah, you're you're hitting on a on a soapbox for me. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here. So I I, I think <laughs> at the it. end of the day, yeah, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, right? So I I'm an engineer in background, so I'm very uh, familiar and comfortable with the, uh, you know let's build some really cool tech, right? Mm -hmm. and, and really cool tech is fun and exciting and, and it attracts, you know, people to come and do it. And I think that's, a, that's, that's valuable, right? It's really important to have people excited about the technology that you're building. But, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, based on what we've been saying over the last few minutes, at the end of the day, you can have the best tech in the world. And if you don't have the systems around it and the tools around it to drive adoption, it's not going to be effective. So I think our, our point of view collectively is that, you know, 
really in a lot of ways, thinking about tooling and process and, and, and value statements first often is going to get you much further than building the technology first and then figuring out how to like wrap everything else around it. Now, I think there's always a balance there and every organization is different in some ways, but, but I think the, the most successful design systems that I've seen built and deployed within an organization are those that started with the idea that we're going to have to create the infrastructure and the scaffolding first to get people excited about the idea, understand the value, understand how they're going to adopt it and integrate it into their product and then deliver the actual design system to the real world. Now, a lot of that can happen in parallel, of course, but, but I think without doing that, I think there's, there's, there's a, there's a miss that is going to affect adoption in the long term. So practically, like what, what does that look like? I'm, I'm kind of curious from the, the more nuts and bolts perspective, like how do you get that early alignment? How do you get people to, to touch something and, and to get excited about it? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's really, really easy to fall down the rabbit hole of basically picking up a megaphone and yelling at people that they should use something. And I think that that's really ineffective. What I've seen be most effective is is actually being able to do a barn raising, like what uh, talking with your consumers and understanding what value they need. What are they missing? Um, how are they using things today? What technologies are they using? What do they have in place? And surveying kind of your consumer base to understand the technical landscape and know what actually use that as input from an architectural standpoint to figure out how can we build something that's going to be of the highest value to the, the largest group of people um, and then try and prioritize uh, based on business value, maybe, or you've come up with your own algorithm on, on where the value really is, but who are we serving first in, and bring them into your inner circle um, and be able to co-create with people who are going to be receiving value with this and, and build a sense of ownership. I think that's a really important piece is you can, uh, you can d- deliver something to somebody and find out after you've delivered it that it was the wrong thing. And that's, that's true in all of product, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, from a technical standpoint, I think that's important. Going back to the design, though, I think it, there's a lot upstream of that process. You know, there's another really interesting point in terms of some of the tools that I've seen successful in driving this adoption and getting the consumption that you want. We uh, we had previously built a tool that we called BERT, uh, which is sort of a blast radius tool. And it, it was a tool of measuring how much adoption the design system have had across the mono repo or all the repositories that were consuming it. And there was this very real emotional sort of guilt component in terms of, hey, like all these other teams are using it and getting value and we can quantify that value in these ways. And we start to put some basic math models around, hey, this consumption is meaning this amount of development efficiency is is happening in this business unit over here. Why aren't you guys also, you know, starting to to realize some of these benefits that we can that we can sort of point to and obje- and put some objective measurement around? And it starts to, in a lot of ways, like a virus. Maybe that's a sensitive topic these days, but um, <laughs> it's like a virus within that organization, right? Where people see the adoption, they can measure the adoption, they can see how that's impacting other teams, and they, and we can measure at a at a design system level how it's how it's permeating across the organization. I think that's another really really important tool. Right. So there's, there's ROI on the table here. It's just a matter of telling the teams like, go, go grab it. And a part of it is social pressure around like, let's go ahead and I mean, maybe not shame people, but let's go at least like talk about who's using this and who isn't and who's been able to go like over to that table and pick up that value. Yeah. Social pressure is a really important part, in my opinion, of, of driving adoption, right? The more that you can quantify, communicate and, and build excitement around it and, and spread that excitement across the organization, 
uh, I think, the better in a lot of ways. And there's also a kind of an operational, going back to the upstream activities topic, is that it's not just on developers, right? I think there's there's a stream here that needs to be um, kind of hardened, right? You have your system, the designs that the developers get start with the design team, right? Mm -hmm. If the design team is bought into this to the point where there's actually a flow, where the thing, the comps or whatever it looks like that the developer is getting is actually aligned with the system that they're using to build it, it makes it really easy for that developer to go in and say, cool, I'm going to grab that off the shelf and now I'm done. I I actually got this done way faster than I thought. That's a really good outcome. A really bad outcome is when you have designers who aren't necessarily on board with what's going on and the comps that those developers are getting are not aligned with patterns and approaches that um, that would make them successful. And so there's sort of this cascading effect of... How do you make all of the stakeholders in the system and the people who are contributing to this make the person downstream of them successful? Um, and that that's sort of like herding cats in the beginning, right? You've got people who very much have their own perspective on how they want to do something and changing people's behavior is really hard. And we also have this you know, interesting phenomenon that occurs, right, where to have a system that allows you to democratize that creative process, to allow anybody to participate in some meaningful way in the construction of a new a new digital application, a new website, a new native app. It requires a much greater amount of democratization in the building of that initial system. Likewise, we talk about this in, in the same way we think about power structures and communication structures inside of design systems, right? The person that has the ability to click publish on that next version of that design system is a really powerful person in that, that organization now because that publish button might go out to hundreds or thousands of products. And so this is an interesting sort of observation around the service model associated with design, right? We have tooling and tech that enables all this to be possible. But the thing here that feels really hard is getting the people to work within a service model that embraces this democratization story. Yeah, I I think the way that I look at that, right, is is a mixture of... Mixture of control, right? How do you put processes in place that allow the evolution of the design system to, to happen in a in a sane, well-controlled way? I think on the other side, how do you create a bunch of tools to allow contribution models to thrive, right? And I think if you can find a balance between, you know, some centralized system that that owns the product strategy of the design system, right? And and owns, you know, the releases and kind of the broad brushstrokes of how the design system is going to evolve over time, but allow all the consumers of that design system to inject ideas and to influence and to you know submit uh, merge requests right to to that design system and participate in some meaningful way in, in governing how that design system evolves over time. I think you can strike a good balance. I think it's it's hard to operationalize that governance, but I think where we've seen it done most effectively is just through a structure of allowing feedback that's meaningfully listened to and and acted upon right it can start as simple as just opening dialogue with your teams and taking their suggestion into the product and continuing to show that you care and that you're evolving the product to meet their needs i think it can start there and get a lot more complicated over time too yeah it's all about building trust right i I think that part of that is the feedback cycle right there's um and and there's also trust in the product right it's really easy to well (laughs) it's really hard to build trust it's really easy to lose trust right so whether that's in your communication cycles and how you're managing feedback and acting on feedback or how you're actually controlling the quality of the product you're providing. And I think some of that comes down to really, really complex 
pipelines and DevOps and how do you manage Semver and how are you sure that you're you're not creating breaking changes for those hundreds or thousands of products downstream. Um, there, there's a lot of work that needs to go into building the foundations that create a, a trustworthy product. What I love about what you said about trust is it's trust in the product, trust in the system, but also trust between people. And I think that that's, that's an interesting kind of, um, you know, after effect of, of all this, right, is, is like we create all these systems and processes and tools, but fundamentally, it's all a way of, of ensuring a trust and a handshake between individual people in, in the chain, right? And I think that's this kind of interesting and somewhat surprising, I guess, would be the right word, somewhat surprising way of thinking about it as design systems. It's not like there's one specific governance model that always works for change control. It's not like there's one specific you know, way of inserting designs into your design system or way of getting code out of it that always works the same way. But fundamentally, what you focus on in having a successful system is the adoption and the trust in the people in the system and in each other. Yeah, and I would say that like the maintenance of trust comes down to the team's ability to be able to um, handle the complexity that they're creating. Um, I think that what ends up happening is that these systems grow and grow and grow. And then at some point, it's usually when you're thinking about breaking changes, you're thinking about, oh, well, am I changing an API somewhere? It's a really technical concept. Design breaking changes occur as well, right? And when you put these two things together, you're actually increasing the complexity of the system and how you govern that end to end, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that actually over time, as you're growing the consumption and evolving the system, that actually introduces new challenges that most development teams don't have to deal with because usually it's just, oh, well, we got acquired, turn it blue. Or it's, we're going to a new brand, completely apply this across all of our, <laughs> all of our properties. I'm curious if you guys have experienced the bounce, like when we were an agency and, and even some somewhat as a product company, we always see a lot of excitement early on in a design systems project and an implementation. And people are stoked about building core principles. And they're stoked about getting some docs in there. And they're stoked about like the first standup and the first consumer and the first pilot component. And then what happens is like the work settles in for a year or 18 months and then people kind of look at it as like this thing that's done and it doesn't get as much attention as as much excitement. And we always sort of see this like almost the second implementation hump that you really need to push through because a lot of design systems uh, fundamentally fail after about 18 months, not because they weren't well established, but because they they fell off. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull us back to a concept we talked about a little bit earlier around marketing. I think a lot of that comes down to storytelling, right? And I, I've seen this firsthand in a, in a design system that I was, I was the owner of uh, in terms of the build part of it, at least. And you know what we saw is, is precisely that. We saw a ton of excitement, a ton of people excited about the concept of a design system and what it could mean. And then we saw six months of the trial of terror, right? Where everybody was <laughs> was very upset that everything's it was broken so long. Yeah, everything was broken. The migration and, and consumption of these components was was hard and we learned a ton, right? All these different things happened. Um, but I think what pulled us out of that trough was really a story that that started to emerge about impact. And I think you have to be super intentional about doing this because it's easy to get tired about talking about it, tired of of pounding the drum about how how important it'll be, whatever it is. You have to pull yourself out of it and start to start to take that quantifiable data about the impact, about the improvements and the efficiency and what it helped us do and and the story of you know a, a market or a new product that we brought to market uh, in you know 
50% of the time that we did previously or whatever these wins are that start to build up. And sometimes you have to be really, uh, you have to pay a ton of attention because early on those wins are not abundantly obvious, but, but they're there, right? And you have to have the eye to look for them. Hey, we shipped a button. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But even, even that win can be, can be amplified, right? That can be amplified. That can, that can go into a deck to your leaders. That can go into a conversation with, you know, the executive team or whoever is a stakeholder ultimately of the, of the business, right? And, and you can, you can be a marketer for that product. You can be a marketer and, and figure out how to like spread the word and yell at the top of the mountains. Hey, this is working. This matters. It's small now, but it's going to build and grow over time. Wow, I love that. There's also this concept of um, where is your product market fit and what is the threshold to be able to release something where if you can actually come up with, based off of who you're shipping to, what's going to provide real value and start to celebrate as early as possible without shipping too early, right? I think you have to be very intentional about when you actually go to market with it, but it gives you more opportunities to amplify, right? We've got five core components. Great, somebody's getting something out of that. Six through 20 can all be signals that start to, uh, that, that amplify all of that progress. And you start to impact more consumers across more projects. Um, and, and that becomes a more compelling story uh, as you go. I, I love, the reason why I love that so much is because it's very similar to how we think about this too. When somebody first touches Knapsack for the first time, you know, there is this idea of what is the win that we can get today in Knapsack? What is the win that we can get by the end of the week? And, you know, what our customer success motion ends up being is it's largely like, let us write the deck for you to get executive alignment for the next step of your design system. Let us write the presentation that you're going to give it a lunch and learn that shows your other product teams how great the work is that you're doing. Let us provide you with the metrics that show like how effective this is being for your organization because this is still new, right? Like there's there's not a lot of organizations that have, have either paid an agency or bought a SaaS product or, or anything as it relates to design systems. And so oftentimes these are internal efforts led by small teams that are somewhat insurgent that maybe aren't aligned on some executive KPI dashboard somewhere. And so empowering them with the tools to be able to to spread the love a little and make themselves look good while actually presenting this really amazing concept to their organization. That's where a lot of magic happens. Yeah. I can, I can tell you firsthand that um, in the first year of building a design system at scale, a good 40% of my job was creating metrics to be able to make my stakeholder who happened to be Zach um, <laughs> successful in his position. So um, being able to go through and do all that, what, that's why we created the Blast Radius tool. We used that to be able to create objective metrics that Zach could then go bring and tell the story about where, where that investment is going and what the impact is of that. And if you don't have those storytelling pieces to be able to communicate upwards to somebody who's not a design system expert, somebody who really more cares about how quickly am I getting to market, how efficient are my teams? What's my return on investment? Um, the storytelling upward is different than the storytelling that you're telling to your consumers. But both of those stories are valuable to be able to create that traction and that ongoing investment. Yeah. And and to, to drive a point home there, right? My, my stakeholders in, in, in that organization were not focused on how many components we consumed or how many, you know, design system alignments we had across the products in my portfolio. They cared about how many hours it took to build and deliver a feature to our customers. They cared about, you know, the bottom line, right, of, of the operating of, of my business at least. And so, 
you know, the more that we can tie the value at the design system and developer operations level to the results that that drives to the business, however small they were. And they were very small at the beginning, to be very clear. They were very small. But those are still really important stories that can be amplified and, and, and yelled out at, at the top of the mountain, right, about how, how we can do this times 10 if we continue to make this investment. And, and that worked, right, because it, it, t- it told a story about how one, we're already winning, and and two, we're going to win a whole bunch more if we keep those to the grindstone on this on this initiative. Yeah, I mean, the value goes exponential really quickly in design systems, right? The the thing that sounds like you're saving like a handful of seconds, well, multiplied across a thousand person developer team, that that's a meaningful amount of time. If you're able to make you know a hundred changes that all save a few seconds here or a few minutes here. Uh, that starts to to create incredible value at scale, and I think that that's the the thing that is always interesting to me about that that trough and adoption. Right? It's like okay, so some business unit or some group has proven this well enough that it works for them, but to really take advantage of the design system, it has to scale, and that scale conversation seems to be where where people end up getting hung up a lot because that you, I, I think it's it's what you guys said that story isn't being told, or there's not the proof points and data that represent that. One other thing on this, I do love the idea of thinking about metrics a little bit differently, right? You have you have metrics that are, are those bottom line metrics, those business drivers that you were talking about. That's the stuff that goes to your, your executives. That's what gets you alignment and, and fundamentally what gets you budget to either build it yourself, hire an agency, get a SaaS product, whatever it is that represents the next evolution of your design system. But then there's this separate set of things that you have to talk about with your design system team and your consumers of your design system that really show them the benefit too in a, a much less like business metrics driven way and in a much more thing that's a lot personal to to what they value out of a design system. Yeah. So, you know, we look at that through the lens of different customer segments, right? Every product has different customer segments and, and, and I think a design system ha- has different customer segments, right? One is the higher level um, business leaders or stakeholders, right? Who want a certain amount of efficiency or, or growth of the business or whatever those things are. And then the consumers who are a part of your strategy to get there, right? And so the story that you tell between those two or three or four different sort of customer segments um, is is going to be different in some ways. And, and it's going to be important to understand what their motivators are, why they're buying the, the design system. What do they get out of it? What is their value statement? Which in some cases, especially in a large organization can be very diverse, right? Very diverse. But I think the more that you think like a traditional marketer and think about those customer segments and what messaging is going to resonate, what messaging is not going to resonate, I think serves you well at scale because it's not one story, right? It's it's multiple sometimes. Yeah. And that also drives how much you need to build into your system also, right? It's not just the design. It's not just the components that you're delivering. It's the documentation of the patterns is the, the reason why. And it's also, it's creating a, a central point for somebody to be able to go spin up on that and be effective with it in very little time. And an interesting anecdote here that I had with a, with a client recently was that we've been working for two years now on building design patterns and input to be able to drive development of those patterns. And we had a conversation and he said to me, he said, well, well we don't have a design system. <laughs> and for a moment, I was like, well, what are you talking about? We've got all the designs. We've built all of this stuff. Um, it's in use. It's in consumers' hands. But you don't think we have a design system? He said, well, well, no, I don't have a place where I can point a new developer 
to go or a new designer or a, a product person to be able to consume this in its entirety and understand the value and also be able to be effective at using it on their first day on the That's job. A really great. Metric. And I thought that that was a really effective. It, it was it was a really, really good insight that we created all of this value and it's in use. It's providing real value. But there's ROI being left on the table to your earlier point is that you just got to pick it up. Right. And so when you scale across silos and I'm going to use that as like the dirty enterprisey terms, it's like people who don't communicate with one another and don't have visibility into what you've built, they need to be able to see that value, buy in on that value and get value out of it quickly. Um, and as you scale, you need more of those tools. Yeah, I, I think there's a cool analog there too. It's also like that that pilot example, right? The the whole thing about like you can overbuild a system early on and then and then realize that you've maybe built the wrong thing or you haven't built something that really truly reflects the value you're intending because you never piloted it. You never put it in an implementation while you're building it. And and it's one of the things that we encourage people to do all the time, right? Is like, you know, get to the minimum shippable thing right away so that you can really understand it. That then carries forward to to your point about like, okay, you might have a fully built, really highly functional system, but if there's still a, a challenge with that adoption or that gate or that friction early on, the focus shouldn't be like how I extend the design system. The focus should be like how I reduce that friction. Yep, absolutely. And I think that probably comes into, you know, sometimes people will use things like storybook or um, kind of the off the shelf tooling to be able to provide that visibility with the, the smallest amount of effort. What sometimes is overlooked is that that's not a, an effort that one person or one discipline can complete. That's something that's it's a design effort. It's a development effort, but it's also um, surveying the consumers of that and making sure that you're providing the right information in the right context to be able to uh, provide that value out of the gate. And sometimes maybe that's a custom, fully custom doc site, right? Where you're actually using the components that you're building to dog food and build the thing that you're using to document it, right? In any way that you can actually take that that value that you're adding and consume it uh, yourself, uh, the better it's going to be when you have consumers that are actually pulling it in. Absolutely. I, I've always kind of chuckled a little bit at the the organizations that we talk, talk to. They're like, oh, we have a design system. We have a bunch of components in Storybook with some, some note stocks. And it's like, and by the way, this is not a dig on Storybook. I actually think it's a really incredible tool. Um, uh, yeah, agreed. But you know that is not a design system. That is that is a a beginnings of a component library. A component library and a design system are not the same thing because one of them you've really thought about this interdisciplinary, cross functional democratization approach to adoption, and in the other you have a really nice reusable library of components, and those don't necessarily represent the same thing to an organization. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, right? What what lacks in that is an is an understanding of the strategy that you're deploying within that organization to drive that adoption. And I think just a, a bucket of components is is one thing. And I, and I think there's a good Lego analogy, right? A bunch of Legos in a box is one thing. There's value there, right? There's there's building blocks you can you can go from there. But it's another to have like an instruction manual in terms of how to how to piece all of those Legos together into into some like broader, um, you know, more exciting uh, structure. And I think that's a, that's yeah, a, eventually you get a Millennium Falcon and you're super stoked. Yeah. It takes up your whole living room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then I forget about all the other work I need to do and, and play with that instead. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think 
that's that's really kind of the missing key in a lot of organizations is is really you know that that guide both both in in documentation form to Aaron's point but also in terms of like the champion and the communication around that that design system right articulating the strategy articulating the why and all the other pieces and parts that are that are going to drive adoption where they really need to be in an organization you know there are two kind of ways that i've seen this play out which are kind of interesting one is sort of the the spec approach and one is the product design approach where they both kind of lead to totally different places where you have um, I've, I've consumed a really, really well-developed spec that came from design teams that had done user research and they came up with everything all the way down to accessibility details about how are we using ARIA labels um, and then all the pixel, ev- everything all the way down to tokens um, and then, okay, go build off of that, where you kind of have the directions, right? From As a developer, when you're walking into that, you have the directions. And then on the other side of it, it's we have all these patterns in place in the context of an application, um, and we know how this application is supposed to function, but we haven't actually gone through the process of of dissecting those things into how the individual patterns function or the individual components function. Um, and those two things, I think, lead to very, very different outcomes in the same amount of time. And it really depends on what the what the, the business goals, what do you need to hit in six months or a year as to which approach you take and how much money you have to invest in it. But they, they both end in very different places that also have very different adoptions. That's a lot to think about there. <laughs> I, li- I like that framing of that part of the conversation about like, you know, you have a lot of different paths and they lead to different places, but ultimately the value represented by those different paths is still tied to this product that you're building together. So you guys have built a ton of these things for lots of different people. You've probably got one of the more interesting viewpoints of of this overall landscape that I've heard. Um, you deal with a lot of big companies, you build a lot of design systems you probably have a pretty opinionated stance on what's next here. And I'm always kind of curious to talk to people in this industry about like, okay, you know, you started to do these things four-ish years ago. Give me some speculation on what the next, you know, couple of years looks like in the design systems realm. Yeah, let me let, let me kind of look at into the crystal ball a little bit because I do have this. It's going to be a very clear picture that I'm going to paint. <laughs> um, no, just kidding about that. Um, I feel like it's a setup. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the way that I see things evolving, especially when you look at enterprise uh, application development, I think a lot of it is going to focus first on how do we start at scale. I think when my time spending in you know enterprise large enterprise organizations, a lot of the internal thought is is really about efficiency, right? How do we how do we do more with less because we're being held to, you know, uh, quarter by quarter growth, right? From a revenue perspective and we need to figure out how to do more with less at the end of the day. And so I think a lot of enterprise application development is going to start with design systems in a lot of ways. I mean, we're, every organization that that we're talking to or engaged with in some way is starting to make these investments. And so I think they're going to look at these design systems as the place to start when 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 starting to create a product from from 0 to 100, right? So I think you're going to see a lot more, you know, initial implicit beginnings with the components that exist in the design systems, whether they already exist or they're just, you know, designs and or or components in, in storybook or whatever. It's the conversation is going to start there. What do we have? What can we build from to get to where, where we want to be? I I hope certainly that there's a lot less of the 
the mentality internally within these enterprises that are, you know, how do we reinvent the wheel over and over again? Because I see my fair share of that for sure. Um, but I do see a lot of that that tide turning in the conversations that we have and in the time that I've spent. No, let's let's have a little bit more of a of a critical thought in terms of what exists in our ecosystem, whether it's components or existing products or whatever it is, and let's start there. So I think that's going to be one big trend that I see uh, as we as we go forward into into the next few years within the enterprise is, is more reusability from the beginning. Gotcha. So people are going to start to have more familiarity with these systems. They're going to start to understand how they impact engineering and development. It's probably going to be less about insurgent teams and more about a more thoughtful approach potentially from a higher level inside of the organization from day one. And, and I think that will that will come about because people are getting more comfortable with using design systems, uh, creating some sophistication in terms of how the design systems are used and consumed and 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 just more comfortable with the idea that, you know, the, the cost of creating software and building software is just very high. So what opportunities exist within our ecosystem to cut cut some corners, but still deliver a great product. And the other thing is so many of these products we're at we're at a evolutionary phase of, of the enterprise where many enterprises, even if they're not, you know, the most forward thinking, most innovative organization have a very thick and and big digital presence within their, within their walls. And so I think, I think they're going to be looking internally more to say, how can we leverage all these great digital assets we have to do more, better and faster? Yeah. And I think that surface area is only going to increase. Um, you know, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that people are demanding more and more digital experiences to meet them at home or wherever it is they are. Um, so I think that layer is only going to get thicker. What about you, Aaron? Where do you see this all headed? Well, I think where we are now is consumers of these types of products are getting more comfortable with the impact that it has on their daily life. Um, I think that people are starting with, whether it's material design or it's any of the other kind of open source design systems that are out of the box that you could consume and, and evolve. People are, are used to grabbing something off the shelf, um, which I think is helping with you reuse that term earlier of like raising your gaze and starting to think more at a product level and getting comfortable with how those things can be tools to help you as opposed to threatening elements in your daily life. Right. I think that um, what we're going to see is that, that those kind of like out of the box tools have ceilings, right? And there's going to be more demand to be able to create those kind of proprietary brand focused, customized design systems that aren't necessarily just sort of a replication of another brand. Um, and the thing that's going to make that more operationalizable, if that's a word, is <laughs> um, is sort of like it it ties in with kind of the DevOps movement in my mind. And this is going back to like my engineering background is I think that um, as we evolve in the technology that we use to deliver these things, that that is going to become more comfortable as well. Um, and and tooling is going to start to to evolve around how we do this so that we're spending more time actually building and deploying at the highest level of how we actually put this together and not necessarily thinking about all the building blocks that it takes to build at scale right now. Right now, like Zach was saying, it's very expensive to do this, right? Starting from scratch on this stuff and thinking about all the accessibility implications and all the other implications is expensive. It takes time. And I think we'll see a reduction in the cost to do this custom work as the uh, the tooling and the maturity of how we deliver and govern these things continues to evolve. Yeah, I love that. And that's what I get really excited about is at that at that place in reality, 
the energy that an organization spends is going to be on the things that really matter, right? The things that are unique uh, to the solution that they're building or the product that they're marketing or their, you know, whatever, whatever problem they're trying to solve as a business. And I think that's, that's in the nirvana state, right? At the end of the day is, is taking all of the reusable, like cookie cutter stuff that already exists in your organization out of the equation, bring that to the table in a really clean, efficient, maintainable, reusable way and focus your organizational horsepower on building the unique, great product that you're trying to bring to market. And we're, we're not there, but I think with this in place and with this methodology in place, I think I think we can get there a lot quicker than, than we would otherwise. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for sharing your guys' thoughts. I really appreciate you being on. Love the conversation and look forward to chatting again sometime in the future. Hopefully as people start to add uh, things like Knapsack to solve this problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Have a great day. That's all for today. This has been another episode of the Design Systems Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like to know more about, find us on Twitter at the DSPod. We'd love to hear from you with show ideas, recommendations, questions, or comments. As always, this pod is brought to you by Knapsack. You can check us out at knapsack.cloud. Have a great day.